Welcome to Lineouts by Earful of Dirt, bringing you conversations with rugby newsmakers about the greatest sport on the planet. And we're live today on Earful of Dirt Lineouts. I have Alan Yardet and Thierry Dupont, the Austin Elite Rugby. All in English. I forget if elite is a French. Elite is also a French word. I probably need to get my dictionary. My mother would, my mother would hit me. But uh, bonjour à tous. Hello. Hello. So for for the uninitiated, uh, Alain Yardet is a very accomplished French rugby coach. Uh, and was a very accomplished French rugby player back in the day, right before the game turned professional. His uh, he has two caps, and he is Alan. Do you know what your uh, Le Bleu number is? And tu connais ton numéro en tant que joueur français? No. Je peux la prochaine fois. The the next the next uh, meeting we uh, we je donnerai we we give the, the number. So uh, ESPN says 810. 810. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I I try to look that stuff up all the time when referring to uh, players like uh, Peter Malcolm and Patty Ryan as knowing knowing their numbers. So knowing your number is important because that brings out, uh, I guess, confidence in uh, from. Americans be like, hey, you know, French International wants to come over here and coach. But also, in addition to being an accomplished player, his coaching resume goes from Perpignan de Béziers to Clermont to Montpellier, Stade Vitriol, and Perpignan again. So, and he has basically taken every uh, team that he's coached to the top which says a lot about what is going to happen in Austin coming up. But uh, let's just get to the questions that I've prepared and sent over to you guys. Alan, when did you begin playing rugby? Uh, the first is sorry for my language. And I learned the English and uh, I, I hope in uh, five or maybe four months, I uh, I, uh, ans- I answer in in English mm-hmm. and today uh, I uh, I ask help uh, Thierry Dupin. <laughs> so, quand est-ce que tu as commencé à jouer au rugby? Uh, j'étais tout petit uh, à l'âge de 5 ans, 6 ans, dans un petit village en France. Okay, he was very young. He was like five years or six years old. He was in a little village in France. He was like in the 70s. Then. Uh, you were part of three senior clubs in total. What was uh, Association Sportive Montferrand like before merging with Clermont? Yeah, donc tu as été, tu, tu as fait partie de plusieurs grands clubs français, dont un qui était l'AS Montferrand, qui après a, marge, a mergé pour devenir uh, l'ASM qu'on connaît aujourd'hui, donc l'AS Clermont-Ferrand-Auvergne. Comment c'était avant, avant que ça, ça merge? En fait, c'est, c'est une continuité puisque euh, l'AS Montferrand en fait, était, euh, Montferrand est un quartier de Clermont-Ferrand 
où était la, la cité Michelin, une cité qui était de l'entreprise, de la manufacture. Et il était normal qu'aujourd'hui, pour que ça puisse évoluer en termes de, terme de nom et en termes de, je dirais de, de notoriété, que ça, devienne, que ça migre et que ça devienne de l'AS Conférence, ça devienne l'AS Clermont Auvergne Rugby, puisque ça a pris le nom de la collectivité et le nom de la région. So Montferrand, at the beginning, is just a neighborhood inside the city of Clermont-Ferrand. It was a neighborhood where, like Michelin, the factory was, and it still is. And um, so basically, that was just, at the beginning, was just a neighborhood. And rugby became so big that, you know, like, they took the name of the city and Clermont-Ferrand. And now they even took the name of, like, the, the state, you know, and called Clermont-Ferrand-Auvergne, which is the full size, you know, like, of the full state, you know. So... So basically, it just like from the beginning where it started to grow, like the neighborhood was just like the neighborhood where the factory was, and it was like people, you know, like walking at the factory that was living there and playing rugby. And from that, it just grew and became, you know, what is Clermont-Ferrand-Auvergne now, which is represent like the full region. Gotcha. I wasn't really sure because, I mean, when my French is a little good, not a lot, but mm -hmm. I couldn't find it. Just based on the name, it made me think that it was three separate clubs at one point. And Clermont being, you know, a big city and then Auvergne being en Provence. So, um, and then you made your first appearance for Les Bleus before the uh, game became professional. What, what did it take to develop your skills and your body physically for the demands of international rugby? Donc, tu as fait ta, first, ta première apparition avec les Bleus hein, juste avant que le rugby devienne professionnel. À cette époque-là, qu'est-ce que tu faisais pour être au top au niveau de ta condition physique et de tes attributs euh, sportifs hein, pour te préparer au niveau international Alors, moi, en fait, j'ai connu le, le rugby professionnel, le monde professionnel, en fait, qu'à qu la fin de ma carrière de joueur. Et euh, j'aurais pu être international avant, mais le haut niveau, en fait, a, a, a quelque chose de terrible. C'est que quand tu es blessé, le monde horreur du vide. Et, euh, et donc, je me suis blessé en 91, au moment où j'ai peut-être fait ma meilleure saison de, de, de rugby en France. Et je me suis, euh, j'ai eu une rupture des liens croisés. Je devais partir pour la préparation de la Coupe du Monde, mais je ne suis pas parti. Et l'année d'après, cinq mois après, lors des phases finales, je me suis euh, rompu le d'Achille où je devais partir avec un nouveau coach, puisque c'est comme ça en général, c'est des, des préparations de 4 de ans, et avec Berbizier, qui partait pour avec une nouvelle, une nouvelle équipe en Argentine pour ouvrir euh, une nouvelle ère, et j'ai eu un pire temps d'Achille, donc je ne suis pas parti, et c'est des garçons comme Lacroix, qui ont, ont aujourd'hui 35 transactions, qui sont partis, donc euh, moi en fait, je n'ai pas fait partie de ces campagnes-là, et j'étais international vraiment qu'à la fin de ma carrière, pour encadrer de jeunes joueurs qui étaient Dourdes, Castagnède, Pelouse, ces gens-là, mais j'avais déjà 32 ans. Et ce que j'ai fait en fait pour, pour, pour préparer en fait le, le rugby qui était pour moi, était vraiment au-delà de ma passion, était un moment, j'ai lâché beaucoup d'implications beaucoup et mon encore à l'époque me laissait faire ce que je voulais. J'avais décidé de, 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 de mettre la barre sur, temps, sur un travail physique qui était plus important que les autres et je faisais, en plus d'entraînement de rugby, je faisais à peu près 4 entraînements à 5 entraînements par semaine que sur le travail physique, notamment la course. So Anna was explaining, and it's a long one to, to translate, but so yeah. basically when um, he was supposed to go, you know, with the French team in 91, but uh, it was like his 
best season you know as a rugby player for him and just before to leave you know with the group he he broke, you know, like he tear his ACL, you know, so he couldn't have, so he did his ACL, so he couldn't go. And so he missed this campaign. And in 90, you know, and, and after when the, so, and the professionalism, or at least the international and the high level, you know, is like, they don't like, uh, you know, when something is empty. So they, you need to, if you don't have someone, you have to replace, you know, and when someone goes for a campaign, which is for two or three years, you know, they keep the same people, you know. So if you miss the, the boat, you know, like you're not on the boat, you have to wait for the next one. So he, he, he was waiting for the next one and the next one happens. And during the final uh, in the Stade de France, um, or you did your Achilles or something like that, which was right before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did his Achilles. And so again, you know, he just missed the boat when he was supposed to be on the boat for the World Cup. So basically he missed two time, big time, you know, during his career, you know, like the opportunity to really be with the French group. And, and even if he was supposed to be there, he missed it. So some of the people like Lacroix and everything took the boat. Um, and, and at the end of his career, when he went, he, he went more, you know, to be, you know, like a guy with experience that can be there, you know, to make sure that the young guns coming with him, like Tour, Castaniet, you know, like when they came in, he was here, you know, like when he has his two uh, caps to make sure that they are like some experienced guy, you know, that can be, you know, like helping the young boy to go up, you know, and that's what always like international career went. Um, before professional rugby, you know, what he did, he wanted to be very strong in one thing. So, you know, that was very important for him. You know, he said, oh, I can be better than everyone. I need to have, you know, somewhere where my performance is way better. So on top of the normal training that he did at this time, that was not that much, you know, like he went four or five times per week. He was doing, you know, like working on his physicality, you know, and he was working especially on this run. And so he does like track and field, you know, and he did a special program to be the fastest, to, to be the, the best cardio and to be the top of the field. And that's what make a big difference for him and help him to be where it was, you know, like every time. What was it like playing the first year of professional rugby with Cast Olympic? Qu'est-ce que c'était de jouer la première année du rugby professionnel avec Castres Olympique En fait, il n'y avait pas, il y a pas eu de très très gros changements parce que ça pas été, on n'est pas passé du noir au blanc. Mm -hmm. On n'est pas passé d'un monde amateur à un monde professionnel. Et pour le professionnalisme, vous le dire que on avait déjà des structures, on avait, on avait des, on avait des entraînements, on avait tout un contexte. C'est venu tout, tout, tout doucement. On est devenu mm -hmm. professionnel, donc on avait le droit de toucher de l'argent, de faire de l'argent. Mm -hmm. Mais le grand changement, en fait, il a été sur un plan sportif où est arrivée la Coupe d'Europe, mm -hmm. une grande compétition européenne. So. For us, I say that it didn't went like abrupt, you know, like from one, you know, like from black to white, you know, it was like slowly getting there, you know, they were already, you know, like in Europe, they already had the structure, they already have the gym, they already have like the stadiums and everything. So it was just like moving, you know, to something towards that was more professional. The, the, the real thing that changed at the beginning is like now they, they were able to get paid you know, to play rugby. So that's why it's starting to change with the training and everything didn't change that much. When you really started to get professional is when the uh, European Champions Cup came because all of a sudden it gave, you know, like this like global, you know, like image of like playing against other country. Like they, they became the same level as like soccer because they are the Champions League and all of a sudden, you know, in rugby, they are their own Champions League as well. And then, uh, the Champions Cup was there in that first year, and 
they went your your team went to the Champions Cup, like the final, correct? La première année, il y avait il y a eu quasiment la la Coupe d'Europe et toi tu as été en finale de cette Coupe première d'Europe, non. non Le premier club européen finaliste est uh, Toulouse. The first uh, European finalist in France was uh, Toulouse. Ah, okay. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, not all the information you can find is correct. So, um, for some reason, it said that you guys went the first year. So uh, maybe they, they just, the, what I read meant that you were just in the playoff. Okay. They were. So. And then, um, so for our next question, what, why do you think they established the, uh, the European Cup right away? Because you mentioned that the shift towards professional rugby wasn't really abrupt. It was just the fact that you could get paid. So pourquoi tu penses qu'ils ont mis en place directement la, la Coupe d'Europe si rapidement ben, je pense qu'il fallait intéresser absolument euh, euh, des télévisions. Il fallait faire rentrer euh, un, un nouveau modèle économique qui se mettait mmh. en place. Et, euh, et je pense qu'on a voulu très rapidement se caler sur, le, sur ce qui existe au football en mmh. Europe, notamment avec le, le Champions League. Et il fallait, il fallait absolument mettre une compétition internationale euh, en, en vigueur. Et donc, la Coupe d'Europe est, 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 est née de cette façon-là, de façon officielle, mais elle avait été déjà... Euh, avait déjà été elle avait déjà été exercée si j'ai bonne souvenance ça devait être en 74-75 mais c'était quelque chose qui avait été qui avait été un peu fait de façon un peu un peu forcée tu vois qui n'était pas vraiment structuré et c'est Béziers qui avait gagné la première coupe d'Europe mais c'était 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 non divulgué en fait il l'avait appelé comme ça mais ça voulait rien dire so what he thinks is like and what is it's definitely for an economic model, you know, like they wanted, you know, as soon as they moved to professional, you know, like what was very important is to create like an economic model, you know, like to bring TV, to bring sponsor. It was important to give, you know, like a, a level of, you know, like rugby that was not seen before, you know, and showing that, okay, like now we say we are professional, we need to bring something new and different. The thing is also at, the, at that time in Europe, soccer was, you know, like really like the biggest sport. So the soccer had the European Cup and everything. So if we wanted to put the rugby as the level of soccer, we needed to have our own, you know, European Cup. Uh, and I think that, you know, like there was another uh, European Cup that has been done in 74, 75, but that was like more like, you know, between the club and no one really knew at that time, you know, especially the media. And I do believe that this year was the first uh, European champion at the time. The, the, the history of rugby. <laughs> Always looking for hit history stuff. So, so although your professional career was short, uh, you've coached at almost every level. Was there a difference uh, coaching a team in the top 14 versus coaching a team in Federal 1? Merci. Tu as eu une, une carrière un peu plus courte au niveau vraiment professionnel en tant que joueur. Tu as fait une très longue carrière et tu as coaché quasiment à tous les niveaux en France. Euh, Est-ce qu'il y a une différence entre une équipe, à coacher une équipe du top 14 et une équipe de fédéral et quelles sont les différences Alors, à coacher, je ne peux pas dire qu'il y, qu y ait beaucoup de différences à part, bien sûr, la qualité des joueurs, hein, de façon intrinsèque. Mais le grand changement, en fait, il est, il est lié dans l'environnement, dans tout ce qui se passe autour. 
ou euh, quand tu es dans une structure professionnelle de, de, de top 14, tu as en général un ou deux médecins, tu as quatre ou cinq physios, tu as trois ou quatre préparateurs physiques, tu as en général quatre ou cinq coachs, tu as deux personnes qui sont dédiées à la vidéo, tu as un team manager, euh, tu as une véritable équipe autour de toi qui constitue en fait le, le staff professionnel pour pouvoir performer dans tous les domaines, ce qui n'existe pas en fait euh, au niveau au niveau inférieur puisque bah tu es team manager, tu es entraîneur des trois quarts, tu es manager, tu es parfois médecin, tu es souvent kiné et, et parfois bah, tu trouves pour faire nettoyer les maillots. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can see a difference between the player from federal one to fed top 14 obviously. You know, but the biggest difference and I think that's what we are going to see in the future in rugby in the US. It's already there but is definitely, you know, like the structure and the infrastructure that you have with you. So if you are in top 14, you have like already two doctors, you know, to take care of the players. You have like four or five physio. You have like three or four like uh, strength and conditioning coach. You are like four or five, you know, like coach. You have a team manager. You have like two video analysts. So you have like a full team, you know, dedicated, you know, you know, like to, to, to take care of the team. And when you go in federal one, You are the head coach and you are the team manager and maybe you are the back coach at the same time. Sometimes you are the doctor, sometimes you are. So it's just like it's a big difference of infrastructure, you know, and it's very close to to what I guess like that's it's my own personal opinion on that I'm in the US and that I saw it, but it's what we saw, you know, like in the difference already last year from certain clubs to others, you know, it's just like structure is important and that's what makes a big difference. Awesome. Let's see. So your professional career was a little brief, but your coaching career was not. You went from uh, USA Perpignan to coach in the second year of professional rugby. Uh, what was that like? You took them to the top 16 final at the end of your stay. So, dans ta carrière, tu as une longue carrière en tant qu'entraîneur. Et tu étais à Perpignan où tu as coaché et ta deuxième année en, à Perpignan, tu les as amenés en finale de top 16. Alors, qu qu'est-ce qu que ça a représenté à cette époque-là euh, En fait, c'était vraiment le début de l'ère professionnelle. Et quand je suis arrivé à Perpignan, il n'y avait que deux entraînements par semaine. Et de deux entraînements par semaine, on est passé à, à deux par jour. Ça, c'était le premier grand changement euh, qui, a été, qui a été fait à Perpignan. Euh, le deuxième, c'était de dire que l'équipe de Perpignan avait pour principe en fait, de démarrer très fort la saison, euh, mais, mais très rapidement de, 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 enfin, de s'éteindre dans l'hiver et puis le printemps, ben, de le passer chez elle. Alors que, que nous, le, le plus excitant, enfin, dans le travail français, le plus excitant est la, la période du mois de du mai-juin, qui sont les phases finales. Et c'est le, le moment où, où en fait, le rugby prend tout son, tout, toute sa force et son énergie. Euh, donc, on a, on a dit que nous, ce qui nous intéressait, en fait, ce n'était pas de bien démarrer, mais c'était de bien finir. Et donc, euh, il fallait qu'on s'entraîne plus pour pouvoir emmagasiner, en fait, de, 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 de l'essence, pour avoir un moteur plus gros, pour bien finir la saison. Et euh, cette saison 98 est, est, est extraordinaire avec l'USAP, puisqu'on démarre des entraînements, on finit avec deux par jour. Mais surtout, au lieu d'aller voir Roland-Garros, qui était de l'autre côté, en fait, du Parc des Princes, euh, ben, nous, on se retrouve dans le, dans le grand stade. 
So what was a big difference is like the culture, you know, like at the beginning when he started, you know, in Lusaf and when he came, they, they used to have like two training a week. And he moved to two training a week to two training a day. So that was already, you know, like something that completely changed. Uh, the second thing is like Perpignan used to start very strongly and to have like a very big start, you know, like every year, you know, especially, you know, like at the beginning. And, and after, you know, when the winter comes, they slow down and during the spring, you know, they, they were not part of like the playoff and they were missing always, you know, like the train. Where if you look at the French um, top 16 or top 14, the playoff uh, phase is, is the most exciting one. So they really wanted to be there. So so that, that's what they say. So, so Alain, when he came and he changed, he said that like, we need to build or bodies or cardio or like or motor or engine, you know, to be ready to, to finish strong. You know, it's good to, to start strong, but you know the most important is to finish strong. So they really work on that. So in, in the one year they move from, from from two training a week to training two training a day. And, and at the end they were in the playoff and they didn't miss it. And they went into the final and they used to say, you know, like most of the time people go to Roland Garros and not to Parc des Princes because, you know, like uh, you miss the playoff and you miss the final, so you go to see Roland Garros, which is at the same time most of the time, but this time they were in Parc des Princes and not in Roland Garros, which was a fantastic story for them because they, they could be there, you know, on the field and playing rugby, which is more exciting than just watching things. Then uh, you left to go to Bézier, which that the year you took over was competing in its first year of pro D2. What made you leave? De, de Perpignan, alors que tu étais en pleine ascension, tu es parti à Béziers alors que tu te retrouves dans une équipe tu sais, qui était en devenir mais qui, qui n'avait rien construit encore, mmh. enfin qui n'avait rien construit à cette époque-là. Qu'est-ce qui t'a fait partir à Béziers ben, je, je, quitte, je quitte Béziers en... 94, où je suis capitaine, euh, parce que je suis en désaccord avec le, avec l'histoire qui est en train de se passer. Et, euh, et, 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 et je suis profondément déçu parce que Béziers est mon club, le club où j'ai grandi, où j'ai, où j'ai, où j'ai joué au rugby au plus haut niveau. Et, euh, et donc, quand Béziers descend en deuxième division, les dirigeants, de nouveaux dirigeants arrivent, et notamment d'anciens joueurs de Béziers, ils viennent me voir me disant qu'il faut que je revienne à Béziers pour pouvoir travailler avec l'équipe et la faire remonter. Et, euh, et euh, je suis obligé, parce que, parce que je suis fabriqué comme ça, de venir terminer mon histoire à Béziers. Donc, je, je, je casse mon contrat à Perpignan, parce que j'avais encore un an de contrat. Je casse mon contrat à Perpignan pour venir terminer en fait mon histoire euh, que je n'avais pas complètement terminée, puisque j'étais parti en désaccord en tant que capitaine. Et, euh, et je reviens à Béziers en, en deuxième division euh, quand, quand, quand le club est au, au plus mal et euh, au plus mal classé et, et le plus dans la plus grande j'irais désespérance quoi. So for Alain, what is it is like so he used to be a player in Béziers and like his best years in rugby you know as like high level rugby was in Béziers and in 94 he left Béziers was the captain but he was not okay with the philosophy and uh, the story of what, what, what's happening in, what was happening at that time in Béziers, so he left. And uh, he grew up, you know, like playing and having his best time in Béziers. So when people came back to him and said, we need you to come in Béziers and helping us, 
he felt that he didn't finish his story with the club and he really wanted to come back. And, and that's the way that he is, you know, it's just like, it was the challenge were more important and just to, to, to fin- you know, to finish with a dot, you know, and not finish, you know, like it, it was an unfinished story and he really want to finish the story. So he came back and, and he came, he, he was still, a, he still had, you know, like one more year, you know, of contract with Perpignan, so he broke his contract. And he decided to come to, to Bézier to finish the story. So when he arrived, Bézier was in Pro D2, but they were like on the low ranking of Pro D2 and it was a very bad position. So he took the challenge and built a back. And that was for him, you know, like having the, the opportunity to, to give back to his club, that was something very important. That's, I mean, that's something we, I've, I've seen when I looked at your, uh, your coaching careers that you, uh, you took teams to the next level. You took teams from if they were at the bottom at every level of you've coached, whether it was federal one or the top 16, you took them from the bottom to the top. And that's where we go to uh, Clermont, which you had played with also as a player. You then take them to the European final. Uh, You know, you then stepped away for two years. Uh, what what led you, after taking them to the European final, to, to step away? Was it to retire at the pinnacle of your career? Because it's kind of hard to do anything more than that. Il a fait pas mal de recherches et il a vu que tu vois sur ton parcours à chaque fois tu as toujours pris des clubs qui étaient en bas ou qui étaient dans une position à un moment donné de des difficultés. Tu les as toujours remontés, tu vois. En au top, en haut, toujours au next niveau. Et, euh, et là, quand, quand tu es, donc après, euh, après Bézier, tout ça, tu es parti à Clermont-Ferrand. Et à Clermont, tu, tu les as amenés à, à la finale de, de, de Champions Cup. Et, et après ça, tu es parti pendant deux ans. Qu'est-ce qui s'est passé Tu voulais t'arrêter parce que tu arrivé au top et c'est dur d'aller plus haut et du coup, tu, tu t'es arrêté ou c'est quelque chose d'autre Non. En fait, quand, quand j'ai commencé à entraîner, euh, j'ai pris mon sac à dos et je suis parti dans l'hémisphère sud parce que je voulais comprendre pourquoi euh, l'hémisphère sud, notamment la Nouvelle-Zélande, l'Australie était championne du monde et pourquoi nous, on ne l'était pas. Et, euh, et donc, j'ai eu un, un premier grand, un grand bouleversement dans ma vie puisque moi, je suis, j'étais cadre technique, j'étais, j'étais formateur en France et je me suis, je me suis aperçu en fait que la, que le, le, la, la performance euh, avait, avait un vrai, une vraie signification. Et la performance, c'était mieux plaqué, c'était mieux défendre, c'était mieux organiser, c'est avoir de meilleures, une meilleure stratégie. Je me suis aperçu que beaucoup de, de managers venus du monde d'entreprise, donc il y avait une formation qui était, qui était, qui était très, très objective par rapport à la performance. Et ça faisait un moment que j'entraînais et j'avais besoin en fait de, de, de repartir pour pouvoir avoir, aller chercher quelque chose qui, qui allait créer quelque chose de, de nouveau dans ma façon de coacher, dans ma façon de manager, dans ma façon d'aborder en fait la performance, comme j'avais pu le faire au début de ma carrière quand j'avais quitté mon statut de joueur à Cass, j'avais endossé celui d'entraîneur à, à Perpignan. So, for Alain, what was very important, and it happened two times in his career, so just after when he finished to be a player, uh, he took his backpack and went to New Zealand, and he wanted really to understand why New Zealand and Australia, you know, they were able to be world champion and not us, you know, in France. So he went to spend a little bit of time over there, and after that's how, when he came back, you know, with information and energy, and that he started to coach. Uh, so after Clermont-Ferrand, 
he felt that he really needed, you know, to go back over there and spend some time to to continue to to improve his performance and, and to learn more. And and he believed that he needed, you know, to, to go back and spend time and really understand and understand the performance, not only, you know, like on the field, but outside of the field and, and really understand what is, you know, like the difference between South Hemisphere and North Hemisphere. So he, he felt that it was something important for him. So he went back and he spent like almost two years, you know, to travel around, you know, and just to meet with all the coaching and co the coaches, you know, from all over, you know, the place, especially in New Zealand. Daco, see. Yeah. Um, so that leads into going into Montpellier. Obviously, you still had, you know, the coaching itch. You still had the need to to teach rugby. Um, how did you get pulled back? So that's what leads you to Montpellier en fait était un club qui était jeune puisqu'il n'a pas d'histoire. Il est né il y a très peu de temps. C'était un club qui était la grande ville en fait d'une grande région administrative. Euh, et il y avait une grosse, un gros travail qui avait, qui avait été fait sur la formation et euh, j'avais envie de, 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 de travailler là-dessus puisque j'avais retenu une, une chose qui était, qui était devenue importante chez moi euh, en Australie j'avais été, je vais vous donner une anecdote j'avais été marqué par, par le fait de, que j'avais évoqué notamment avec la rugby league qu'un joueur, qu'un pilier qui arrivait à 30, 30 ans, 31 ans euh, était un joueur qui arrivait à maturité et eux avaient, été, avaient monté les yeux au ciel en disant que un joueur de 31 ans était mort pour lui, qui était fait pour lui. Et donc, j'avais posé la question pourquoi. Et il m'avait dit qu'un joueur à, à, à 31 ans, d'abord, il a été blessé souvent, donc il est beaucoup moins disponible. Il a une famille, des enfants, donc ça veut dire que quand il réfléchit, il réfléchit à sa famille, des enfants. Et souvent, et souvent il, réfléchit, il réfléchit à son... The, the teacher is going to hurt you. Okay. <laughs> et, et souvent, il réfléchit à son dernier contrat. Alors qu'un jeune joueur, lui, <coughs> il n'a pas été beaucoup blessé. Euh, sa famille, ben, il n'en a pas parce qu'il n'a pas encore construit de famille. Donc, il est vraiment disponible pour lui. Et puis, il n'est pas à la recherche d'un contrat. Il est, il est à la recherche d'un premier, premier match. Donc, ça veut dire que mon idée était de dire comment on peut faire dans un nouveau projet, faire démarrer des jeunes rapidement et montrer que ces jeunes, ils ont la capacité à jouer aussi bien qu'un joueur de 31, 32 ou 33 ans. Bon. Montpellier was very an interesting case because it was a very young club, but in like a big city in the south of France in a big region. So that was exciting for him, you know, and it's, it's a new challenge. And it was a new challenge you know, to bring this young club, you know, that were just coming in, you know, and to develop it. And he was just coming back from Australia. And it's, it's very interesting because, and, and it lead to, to the Montpellier story as well. But when he was in Australia, I was very surprised that he saw like all these young players, you know, on the field playing, you know, the top level. Where in France, they used to say like a, a player around 30, 31 is the best player of his time because he's like at maturity. And, and in Australia and everything, they say, no, not at all, you know, like, Their best time is when they are 22, 23, 24 years old. And you say, why? You say, just like, because, you know, like at this time, they have nothing in their head besides, you know, playing rugby. Because when you are 30, 31, first you get, you have like a good, like, injury story, you know, on your body. 
you have a wife that tell you, you know, like sometimes you have to go home and stress you on some of the things, like wife, girlfriend, whatever, but just like life, you know, and kids and things. So you, you can't be like completely focused in rugby. So when you're 22, 23, 24 years old, that's the best time. So when he arrived in Montpellier, he had the opportunity to just bring that what he just learned over there as well. And, and starting with this group of young players, you know, and he had Picamol and Traduc and, and Wadrago, and he wanted really to, to show to the people in the top 14 and in France, it's not because you are young and you are still, you know, like very young, like 18, 19, 20 years old, you can't be able, you know, to play at the top level. And so it was like, it was a perfect case for him also to applicate, you know, what he did, you know, in a, you know, what he learned in Australia and use young player and to try a new strategy and, and it worked. Awesome. See. So you coached in the first two decades of the professional game and you, you make a sandwich of that coaching Perpignan. Uh, you know, at the beginning and at the, and then at the end of the second decade, and you take over Perpignan uh, in the uh, who's in Pro D two at this time, and you take them to the semifinals of Pro D two. So two games a game away, really, from getting promoted. I mean, you're you've basically end up turning them around what made you what was the different first what was first question is what was the difference coaching at the beginning of the first decade and then at the end of the second decade with Perpignan and in French rugby okay so la première question c'est il y a une deuxième question c'est tu t'es retrouvé à Perpignan au tout début en tant que coach et 20 ans après donc deux décennies après tu retournes à Perpignan quelle a été la différence entre le Perpignan que tu as quitté dans les années 98 et le Perpignan que tu as retrouvé en 2008 Alors, le Perpignan que j'ai quitté est un Perpignan qui était enthousiaste. Et le Perpignan que j'ai retrouvé est un Perpignan qui descendait pour la première fois de son histoire en Pro D2 et qui était complètement ruiné. Il y avait, euh, il y avait un, un champ de ruines euh, quand je suis arrivé à Perpignan par exemple. So the difference is really when he left Perpignan, you know, in 98, Perpignan was super enthusiastic. Like the, the city was living and breathing rugby, you know, it was crazy. And when he came back in 2008, he came back and it was like, you know, like completely ruined. You know, it was like, you know, like you're doing the war and you come back and everything was destroyed. There's nothing left. It was just like such a difference, you know, in 2008. Nothing changed, you know, it's even worse. It was even lost. And then, um, so you take them to semifinals, so a game away from getting promoted. What, what made you leave then? Donc, tu les as, tu les as, as un peu retourné l'équipe, et d'un seul coup, tu les as, tu as refait une équipe combative et tu les as mis jusqu'en demi-finale de Pro D2. Mm -hmm. Donc, tu étais à un match prêt pour entrer au top 16. Qu'est-ce qui t'a fait partir après, après ça ce que, ce que je voulais en fait à Perpignan, c'était avoir un rôle qui soit beaucoup plus transversal. Je voulais avoir un rôle avec l'équipe professionnelle, mais je voulais euh, surtout euh, m'occuper de la formation parce que euh, autant il y a des endroits où, notamment en France, il y a des mécènes qui sont capables d'apporter beaucoup d'argent, autant il y a des endroits comme Perpignan 
où euh, en fait le premier partenaire est la formation et je voulais vraiment m'occuper en fait de, de tout ce qui était lié à la formation et bâtir en fait le grand club du pays catalan aussi bien catalan français que catalan espagnol. Et donc je voulais vraiment avoir un rôle transversal et quand j'ai discuté avec mes avec mes, mes, mes présidents avec les, les patrons du club que je voulais avoir un rôle plus transversal, eux, eux n'ont pas n'ont pas n'ont pas voulu et voulaient vraiment que je m'occupe que de l'équipe professionnelle. So what happens is when he came back, you know, he really wanted to have like a, like a bigger role um, in terms of like how developing, you know, Perpignan. He believed that Perpignan could become, you know, like what what you saw in Clermont-Ferrand. You know, it became, you know, like the team of a region and not just of a city. And he said that like you know, few clubs in France they have like people come with deep pocket and they invest a lot, you know, and they can develop. Perpignan was not exactly the case at that time. And they needed to really like improve and push on like the second part. What can bring also revenue is like bringing you know like the training, the camps, and the kids and everything around, and breaking you know like a big club in the region you know that can use you know like this energy you know to to continue to build. And when he talked with the the presidents and the people you know that they were in charge you know in Perpignan. They didn't have the same vision for Alain. They just wanted Alain to be on the field and taking care of just the professional team. So Alain was not so excited, you know, about the project. Most recently, you were a consultant with GL Events, which is a, a construction company that builds rapid uh, construction of rugby grounds or soccer stadiums. But... Uh, That's where you reconnected with uh, Thierry. Uh, how did he and the owners of Austin Elite Rugby convince you to don the whistle again to coach rugby? Donc, récemment, ces dernières années, tu étais euh, une de tes missions, tu étais consultant avec GL Event, qui est, qui est donc une euh, compagnie qui développe euh, l'événementiel des stades en foot, en rugby. Oui. Et, euh, et là, tu as rencontré les gens d'Austin. Qu'est-ce qu'on a fait pour te convaincre à reprendre le, le tableau blanc et, et le siffler et, et retourner sur le terrain Alors, euh, en, en fait, j'ai l'impression de, 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 de faire de la, de, un peu de la marche arrière, dans la mesure, enfin, de la marche arrière où je reviens en fait, à mes premiers amours. Puisque je, quand, quand on réfléchit à ce que j'ai fait ou quand je réfléchis à ce que j'ai fait, en fait, je me suis toujours retrouvé dans des groupes qui étaient en train de naître et puis je les ai fait grandir. Et puis après, ben aujourd'hui, ils ont, ils, ont, ils ont évolué au, au plus haut niveau après. Et donc aujourd'hui, en fait, ce qu'est ce qu Austin, c'est quelque chose, c'est-à-dire que c'est quelque chose, c'est la genèse d'une histoire. Et cette genèse de l'histoire, en fait, ben je fais partie en fait, de, 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 de cette aventure et j'ai juste envie de, de pouvoir la, 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 la faire grandir et lui donner de la force pour qu'elle puisse après perdurer dans le temps. Donc, quand on a discuté euh, bah, de ce que je faisais, en fait, ce que j'ai toujours fait, j'ai fait que du rugby dans ma vie, euh, à, plus, à, à différents niveaux, mais j'ai fait que du rugby, euh, aussi bien de la formation que de travailler au, au top niveau, que de travailler avec, avec des clubs amateurs euh, pour pouvoir euh, bah, rendre les joueurs le plus performants possible, les équipes que j'ai eues les plus performantes possibles et, et, et les clubs les plus forts possibles. Euh, donc, quand je suis venu ici pour travailler pour Gel euh, et que j'ai rencontré, que je t'ai rencontré, euh, 
euh, ben, j'avais, j'ai ressenti exactement la même chose que ce que j'ai senti en France, c'est-à-dire des petits picotements qui font que tu as envie de nouveau de te remettre sur le terrain et de dire, euh, ouais, je peux, je peux vous donner quelque chose parce que j'ai quelque chose à vous donner. Ouais. So basically, when you look at, when you say look at his own career and his own, you know, like when you look back a little bit of what you did, he always been, you know, at the beginning of something that can grow. And you've always been, you know, like one of the connector or one of the spark, you know, that make it happen. And so when he met with us, you know, like that's what effect, you know, he say, well, this is amazing. This is an amazing story to write. Uh, how, you know, like I can be part of it, you know. And, and, and as soon as you see the field, you know, you get itchy a little bit. So because when you look at what you did in the past, Ruby always been, you know, in the center of his life, you know. So be able to be back, you know, like at something that you always did. That totally makes sense for him. Uh, what is very important is that he came here, you know, and he felt and he see the potential that Austin has and the major rugby has. And he can, you know, if he can put like his stone, you know, like a, like a step or something and helping, you know, to build something bigger and stronger for rugby and give back again, that would be phenomenal. That's what he wants. And build the legacy like he did before. Awesome. He once coached Thibaut Privat and Thierry Dupont when they played on the French U19 team. Having been an age grade coach, what are the tools you have to help your eventual academy staff and possibly the American age grade staffs? Okay, so that I need to give some uh, so something. So Thierry Dupont and Thibaut Privat, they played together in the was it U17 or was it U19? Yeah, no, I was on the group, but it was like when I was with, uh, so what happens is Thibaut went to Bézier, and that's how, you know, he had um, Alain as a coach, and after they went to um, Clermont-Ferrand together. And me at that time, you know, that's what almost I stepped, I stepped away from my because of injury. But um, I had uh, Alain when we had like the, Basically, you know, like the elite camps, you know, like the summertime. But Chibo was not with me, so that was like we cross each other, but uh, not yeah. being together on the same camps. But Chibo yeah. and I were the same age, so we were on the same like provincial and U19 things, you know, together. Um, but uh, so basically, to come back uh, on the story is like the link. Um, I'm going to translate now the, the the question in France. So in fait, tu sais that. Um, je suis l'exemple, Thibaut était l'exemple, mais surtout moi, à coacher, tu sais, des, à un moment donné, tu sais, des, des développements, des, des développements, des âges groupes, académie, tu vois, tout ça, tu as été euh, un cadre, cadre, cadre technique. Oui. Ah, donc, du coup, tu étais sur le développement. Qu'est-ce que tu penses que tu peux faire et tu peux aider pour, aux États-Unis pour développer euh, toute la partie développement et académie pour, pour que le, le rugby américain grandisse alors, le, le, la, la question, elle est, elle, est, elle est très ambitieuse et je crois qu'il faut, il faut faire preuve de, de, de modestie. D'abord, il faut que je parle bien anglais. Donc, il faut que rapidement que je parle anglais parce que c'est vraiment très important. La, la deuxième chose, c'est savoir ce qui se fait euh, aujourd'hui, aussi bien euh, dans les écoles, le collège, que ce qui se passe au niveau de l'université. Et euh, c'est après le travail qu'on peut avoir en collaboration avec USA Rugby au niveau de la, de la formation, de ce qu'ils attendent des joueurs. Et une fois que, que j'aurai pris en fait la mesure de ces différents éléments, c'est de savoir comment je peux collaborer au mieux euh, à travers Austin 
pour pouvoir développer euh, le rugby dans un premier temps, dans, je pense, avec les universités qui sont au Texas, qui sont autour de chez nous, et après pouvoir après euh, échanger avec les autres pour pouvoir euh, au mieux utiliser ce que j'ai pu, ce que j'ai pu apprendre ou ce que je pourrais transmettre en fait un peu au rugby. So the, the first part, careful. Uh, the first part of what is very important for him right now, and he's working on it, is like to have like you know to learn English as as good as he can. So you know, so he can really you know not only speak but understand and be able to 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 share, you know, and and to talk with the people and to create more exchange, you know. So that is something that is really working on it, you know, and that's very important. The second thing is like really like right now is like he's, he's getting a step back and he's looking at what people do first. You know, he's not coming and say, oh, I'm, you know, like I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, you should do that. No, it's really to to be on the other side and just like looking, learning, seeing what you know, like the different like college, university, high school, or even clubs, you know, on us, you know, do and learn from that and make sure that he understand what's happening. The third thing that is very important for him after is like really collaborate with USA Rugby. So it could be on the high performance, you know, with Gary Gold and whoever could be, you know, like in charge, but also in, in the academy and uh, the system to really understand what they are, they are expecting from the players. So he can really work with them and help as much as we can, you know, on, on the side. And from that, it's really to assess everything and, you know, from this audit, you know, start to, to see where we can help, you know, and, and we don't need to go everywhere right away. The, the goal is really like around us already, we have few universities that they are like, you know, good university where we can develop these few high school and, and middle school and things all, all around Central Texas. So let's focus right now where we can develop here and after step-by-step extend. But the goal is really like to, to build, you know, strong foundation. <laughs> um, so let's move towards coaching philosophies. What style of offense do you like to run? The, uh, the most known to me are the 1-3-3-1 and the 2-4-2. So, posons des questions un peu sur la philosophie de coaching. So, pour toi, quel type d'attaque tu voudrais jouer? Donc, plus qui connaît plus, c'est 1-3-3-1 ou 2-4-2. Um, toi, tu, quelle est ta philosophie en attaque Alors, je, je, vais, je vais lui, je le dis souvent, mais, mais je vais le répéter. Euh, peu, pas, pas, pas lui, parce qu'il n'a jamais entendu, mais euh, toi, tu le connais par cœur. C'est de dire, aujourd'hui, le rugby n'a pas de règle fondamentale. Le football US, il a la, la règle, après quatre tenues, tu dois avoir fait 10 yards. Le basket, il a 24 secondes pour marquer. Le rugby league, il a euh, cinq tenues. Au bout de cinq tenues, tu perds la pression du ballon. Euh, le football, euh, tu joues qu'avec les pieds. Euh, le hand, tu ne joues qu'avec les mains. Le volleyball, tu as un, volley, un filet qui t'empêche de venir en contact avec les mains. Mmh. Tu as la double sanction. Tu as toutes les fois que tu as une pénalité ou que tu as quoi que ce soit, ça veut dire que tu te retrouves avec avec euh, le trois points, tu récupères le ballon, touche, toi qui lance, mêlée, toi qui introduis. Et tu as deux zones de marque, il n'y a aucun sport qui est comme ça. Et aujourd'hui, plus grande zone de jeu avec le plus grand nombre de joueurs. Donc, c'est-à-dire qu'on peut faire absolument tout. Donc, moi, aujourd'hui, ma philosophie est de déplacer les joueurs pour que je puisse, pendant 80 minutes, 40 minutes en l'occurrence, mais après, peut-être, je récupérerai le ballon, ça veut dire peut-être 25 ou 30 minutes de plus, pouvoir conserver le ballon, parce que la conservation est vraiment importante, et pouvoir avoir aussi bien des avants 
qui vont pouvoir utiliser la profondeur du terrain, que les trois quarts vont utiliser plus la largeur du terrain, mais qui restent équilibrés le plus longtemps possible sur le terrain. Et moi, aujourd'hui, la façon dont je joue, je joue avec 1, 3, 2, 2. OK. That's a lot to do. 1, 3, 2, 2. Yeah. So that's at the end, but you need to. So first, you know, like the philosophy of rugby for, for Anna. The rugby is the only sport that don't have any fundamental rules. What we call fundamental rules is that when you play American foot, uh, football, you have four tries, you know, to make as many yards as you can. When you play basketball, you have the timer that they, in whatever happened in 24 seconds, you, you lose the ball, you know, so you have to shoot or something. When you play soccer, you can only play with your feet. When you play handball, you can only play with your hands. When you play a rugby league, after five tackles, you have to give the ball to the other team. It doesn't exist in rugby union. Rugby union, if you want, you can have the ball for 40 minutes. So basically, and what we explain is like, when if you receive the kickers, the, the kickoff first, you take the kickoff, you go, you forward, you know, like you go, you try, you make a try, the ball get back to you. So basically for 40 minutes, you can control the ball 100% of the time. This is like a little bit, you know, like, you know, like idealistic, you know, but this is what it is, you know. So for us and for Alain, the most important is really to, uh, sorry, um, it's really to play in a certain way that we can control the ball and we can play, you know, like wherever we want and, and use that. And that's mean, you know, like, You have the backs that can play like in the wide of the field, but they all can still play like you know in the front and the back. You have the forward can do the same. So you have to idealize, you know, like all of that, and it's very important. And um, what is trying to do is to make sure that you know, like we can play a structure when we are stable, you know, as much as we can and for the longest time as we can, so we can control the ball every time. And, and the, 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 the last thing that is very amazing too with rugby that was explaining is that you have the double sanction. So basically when you have a penalty against you, like for you, you can choose where you want, but the ball gets back to you. You know, you can go to the line out, you can do, you have always have the choice to control. Even when you score, you can score putting the ball down or you can score putting the ball vertical in between the, the posts. So this gives you so much opportunity You know, and so, so it's indefinite, you know, like it's like it's crazy. I mean, you know, so how we can control that. So that's why. So the best way for him, the way that he play, he play one, three, two, two. And we leave it there. <laughs> and tomorrow we play two, 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 two. And, then, and tomorrow in the future, two, 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 two. <laughs> <laughs> ah, c'est bon. Um, I'm a hooker, you're a center. How do you employ your forwards? Okay, c'est un talonneur, c'est un arrière, tu joues au centre. Uh, comment tu utilises tes avants? Je sais pas, dans ta philosophie, comment tu utilises les avants? Enfin, toi, les avants, qu'est-ce qu'ils font? Parce que lui, il joue plus, uh, tu vois, c'est plus en avant, donc il est concentré sur les avants, mais toi, tu es plus en arrière, à la base. Donc, uh... en, en fait, l'objectif, c'est de dire, uh, le, 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 le terrain, en fait, tu ne peux pas tout pourrir. C'est-à-dire, tu ne peux, peux pas avoir en défense tout occupé. Le, le premier rideau ne peut pas être plein, le deuxième rideau ne peut pas être plein, le troisième rideau ne peut pas être plein. Et toi, 
il faut que tu aies des possibilités de jouer soit sur la largeur du terrain, soit dans la profondeur du terrain, soit derrière, pour qu'il y ait toujours un espace qui est libre. Il faut que tu utilises toujours l'espace qui est libre. Si l'espace libre, il doit être dans la profondeur, tu vas plus utiliser les avants puisqu'ils sont plus aptes à faire ce genre de choses. Si l'espace libre dans la largeur, tu vas plus utiliser les trois quarts. Et si l'espace libre est derrière, tu vas jouer avec le pied derrière. Mais aujourd'hui, l'adversaire ne veut pas tout courir. Donc maintenant, il faut que tu exploites ce que toi, tu as cassé. So the goal uh, with the forward and what is very important is like how we can play now in rugby. You know, like in rugby, you have three different zones when you have to cover. You know, so you have the first zone, the second zone, or the deep zone, the third zone. Unfortunately, with the way that it plays in defense, you can't cover everything. If you are very strong in the first zone, that means you can be weaker you know, in the second or the third zone. So the way that he wants to play with the forward and just in general, It's like these people are able, you know, to use everything that we are breaking, you know, like, you know, in the defense of the other people. So a forward can, needs to be like a back, you know, and the back, you know, needs to be as a forward as well. But they are able to play like a full rugby, you know, and what you see right now, you know, like in, uh, in New Zealand, you know, like you see like a second row, you know, is able to do a two against one and perfectly, you know, even like off So that's where, you know, like skills is very important. I'm adding a little bit on top of it. I had the story many times, so now I know. But that's very important to, uh, to be able, you know, to play a global game, you know, in global rugby. So it's not because you are forward just in the safety that you would have to be focused on that. You need to be able to do as much as the other one. That goes a little bit into uh, my second question. Uh, there seems to be a dramatic difference between Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere style scrummaging. And based on your last answer that you're more into today, a Southern Hemisphere style and selection of athletes, uh, forwards that are fit, lean, big, and can, like you said, play 80 minutes. Okay, il semblerait qu'il y ait une grosse différence entre l'hémisphère sud et l'hémisphère nord maintenant. Et en termes de jeu, et quel, par rapport à ce terme de jeu, quel type de jeu tu aimerais jouer et que tu vas employer Alors, entre, entre les deux types de jeux, en fait, aujourd'hui, la, la grande différence, c'est que l'hémisphère nord est un, est un endroit qui est très défensif, où en fait, tu ne joues pas pour gagner, puis tu joues pour ne pas perdre. Donc, la philosophie est complètement différente, alors que l'hémisphère sud, tu joues pour gagner. Donc, c'est un jeu qui est beaucoup plus offensif. Je, mon, 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 mon état d'esprit en fait est, est vraiment tourné vers, vers l'attaque vers et je voudrais vraiment qu'on soit, qu soit organisé pour pouvoir avoir un rugby qui soit très positif. So, the biggest difference, like you said, between a north hemisphere and south hemisphere, it's the north hemisphere, they play because they don't, you know, like a certain style because they don't want to lose. Where in south hemisphere, they play because they want to score and to win. And this big difference, and that I can, I can give a little bit more, it's just like in North Hemisphere, when you play in top 14, if you lose, you go to 42. So it's a huge cut in your budget. It's massive, you know, like you lose a lot. So you definitely don't want to lose, you know, in the first part of the season because you put a huge stress of your, on your team and on your like financial and everything. So that's very, very important to defensively, you know, to lose as less as possible, you know. When you play Southern Hemisphere Super Rugby, no matter what happens, you still be in the Super Rugby the next year. Like, and I can transpose that, you know, to the Major League Rugby in the future. 
you know, like we are not, you know, like you finish last, you're not going down, you know, you still be part of like the, you know, like the championship. And that's a big difference. So that means, you know, like what we want to play and the way that we are going to play is we want to play positive rugby. So we want to be an attacking rugby. Um, a question from the viewers. We got one. Um, I think. Oh, no. One more question about coaching philosophy before I get that question in. Uh, so if you watch Munster – Munster and Saracens, and I think a little bit of um, Saracens, Claremont in the European final, there's a lot of cross-kicking and more so in more so, I would say, defensive style rather than in an attacking way. Uh, how often do you employ cross-kicks and is that dependent on your athletic matchups? Quand tu regardes, quand tu regardes surtout les derniers matchs de Coupe d'Europe et la finale Fermont, Saracens, Monster, je ne sais plus contre qui Saracens aussi, tu voyais, ils utilisaient beaucoup le coup de pied croisé. Et même en défense, tu vois, ils utilisaient. Est-ce que toi, tu utilises beaucoup ce genre de technique en utilisant le jeu au pied ou ça dépendra en fait de l'athléticisme de ton équipe, les attributs physiques des équipes adverses En fait, pas au-delà du fait de, 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 du jeu au pied, mais pour moi, il est important d'avoir un langage qui soit commun. Et euh, le langage commun, c'est qu'on ait, qu ait une, une cinquantaine de mots qui soient pour, pour l'équipe qui veuille dire la même chose. Et après, avec ces 50 mots, on doit pouvoir arriver à mettre le ballon au pied en travers, on doit arriver à mettre le ballon au pied haut, on doit arriver à se déplacer sur la largeur, on doit arriver à se déplacer dans la profondeur, on doit pouvoir attaquer toutes les zones de terrain. Mais tout le monde doit réagir de la, de la même façon, en fait, au même mot. Et pour moi, c'est vraiment important d'avoir ce langage commun parce qu'en fait, ça va être notre, notre dictionnaire de, de, de vie et notre dictionnaire de, réfé, de référence. Et quand on dira euh, jaune, ça voudra dire jaune pour tout le monde et tout le monde ira dans la même direction. Et aujourd'hui, ce que je m'attache à faire, c'est écrire ce langage commun avec les joueurs pour que euh, quand on va se retrouver sur le terrain, quand on va être en conflit, puisque le rugby est un sport de conflit, puisqu'il y a un adversaire qui veut qui veut t'empêcher te, d'avancer, euh, ben, qu'on puisse quand même avancer parce qu'on aura un langage commun. Alors, je ne sais pas si on avancera avec un jeu au pied croisé, je ne sais pas si on avancera avec un jeu au pied haut, je ne sais pas si on avancera par des passes, mais l'idée est vraiment de, 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 que l'équipe euh, soit tournée vers la même chose et que quand on va dire ce mot-là, pour elle, ça veut dire la même chose et que ça puisse durer le plus longtemps possible. So, before I want to talk about like kicking games, you know, like what is very important is like how the team react together and how they work together. So, for Alain and what he's working on it right now is he's working on what they call like the common language. So, he thinks like 50 word max should be the language that we should have on the field and 50 words that everyone understands, no matter what, you know, it's happening. If they say yellow, everyone understands what means yellow, and everyone goes in the same direction. So that means, you know, like we will adapt from what is we can see on the field. And if we say we need to cross kick or we need to high kick or we just need to pass, you know, like the, the, the team will have the same language and will understand and will attack where we should attack. Or we should defend the way that we should defend, you know, to, to, to play against the team. So even before like kicking is just a tool that we can use. But the goal is to keep the ball as much as we can and as long as we can. 
So that's what would be the, the, the most important things. So the cross kick will be one of the tool of that or the long kick, but just depending on what we have in front of us. We play a game of conflict, so we need to make sure you know that we, we control what we do. Got it. So the next question is was live. I think he's still on. Um, from Cillian Gowan. Uh, this this has to do with uh, the state of French rugby. Uh, FFR has made the choice to only select uh, passport holders for the national team. So the question is, uh, do you think the heavy reliance of foreign players in the top 14 is impacting the national team? So La fédération française a décidé maintenant de choisir des joueurs qui ont un passeport français. Et euh, la question est donc du coup, est-ce que d'avoir tellement d'étrangers dans le top 14, ça impacte sur l'équipe de France hmm. <rire> Incontestablement. Le, le problème, c'est qu'on a le, le rugby français a eu une croissance très rapide et qu'on n'a pas maîtrisé cette croissance. Et qu'aujourd'hui, il y a deux univers qui se côtoient, qui sont diamétralement opposés qui sont la, la, ligue, la ligue de rugby, la LNR, qui gère le, le, les clubs professionnels. Et de l'autre côté, on a la FFR, euh, qui gère, elle, tout le sport amateur et les équipes de France. Et aujourd'hui, ces deux, ces, deux, ces deux univers, en fait, sont en conflit euh, parce que ils pas, la croissance était tellement rapide qu'on n'a pas pu la maîtriser. Et aujourd'hui, on se retrouve devant un problème où la FFR, en fait, n'a pas, pas grand rôle à jouer avec les clubs professionnels, parce que les clubs professionnels sont, sont maîtres chez eux, ils font ce qu'ils veulent, puisqu'ils dépendent d'une autre instance, la Ligue nationale de rugby. So, yes, definitely, it's something that, you know, like, affect, you know, like the French team. But what happens, and if you look more like on the global, you know, like development in rugby, it's the rugby in France expanded so fast, you know, and with so much money and everything that it couldn't, they were not able to control completely, you know, what happens, you know. And you have two big groups. You have like the League National of Rugby, which is a professional, you know, like competition. And you have the French Federation that controls the amateurs and the national team. And right now the French uh, Federation doesn't have too much to say about, you know, like the League National of Rugby. So it's complicated, you know, to, to, to control and to work it together. And that, that definitely stress on the, on the player and on the development right now, like in France. Got it. So I think we've got one more serious question before we get into the fun stuff. So this is important because Thierry's here, so he can help answer. Uh, so what is your overall role going to be? In the American sense, uh, coaches tend to just focus on X's and O's and development of players they have and the coaches they have in Europe, specifically in rugby, oftentimes the director of rugby is also the head coach and he has to worry about not only just identifying players for the senior side, but also the age grade sides and the development of multiple coaching staffs in addition to trying to win games. Does that make it harder? You have a long relationship with Thierry Dupont. How will that relationship meld with both of your roles with Austin Elite. Okay, donc en fait là c'est une longue question mais c'est vraiment sur la partie comment on va travailler ensemble par rapport à ton rôle à Austin. Donc euh, aux États-Unis souvent les, les coachs sont vraiment se concentrent sur la partie sport et sur la partie terrain 
en, en s'équipant des joueurs et des, et des autres coachs qui sont autour d'eux. Et en Europe, tu as le directeur au rugby, tu sais qu'il y a un rôle un peu plus transversal, tu souvent s'occupe de l'équipe professionnelle, mais aussi s'occupe du développement dans la partie sportive. Comment tu penses, est-ce que ça, 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 ça rend le, le, le plus difficile d'avoir cette partie transversale Et comment tu penses que par rapport à notre relation, et comment tu penses que ça va se, se joindre ensemble euh, non, ma mission à plusieurs endroits, que ce soit Montferrand, que ce soit Béziers, était une mission vraiment transversale, où en fait je m'occupais de l'équipe professionnelle, mais je m'occupais aussi du développement. Et, et, et aujourd'hui, ma mission à, à, à Austin sera aussi une mission transversale, où je vais avoir à mettre en place en fait le jeu, le, le rugby, et mettre en place l'équipe professionnelle avec les contraintes de l'équipe professionnelle mais aussi euh, travailler sur le développement parce que ça me semble être vraiment vraiment une quelque chose d'important et, et je pense qu'il faut vraiment développer le coaching c'est quelque chose qui, qui va être la première chose à mettre en place euh, et, euh, et avec Thierry eh ben, notre mode de fonctionnement euh, sera sera très clair moi j'aurai un regard beaucoup plus dirais, qui sera tourné vers le vers le vers le rugby aussi bien le rugby euh, de performance je veux dire l'équipe professionnelle que le rugby de développement et après, c'est de dire à Thierry, voilà les besoins qu'on a. Qu'est-ce que tu peux nous donner ou qu'est-ce que tu peux, qu'est-ce que tu peux apporter sur ce type de, de, de besoin qui est un besoin de formation où il va falloir qu'on rémunère des éducateurs, où il va falloir qu'on ait du, qu'on laisse du matériel fongible pour pouvoir même pratiquer l'activité. Donc, ce sera vraiment une, une relation qui sera, qui sera une fusée avec, qui va, qui va vouloir aller dans la même direction avec deux étages, une étage, un étage qui sera vraiment un étage sportif et de développement et un étage qui sera un étage de, 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 de trouver des, des ressources pour pouvoir pousser ce développement le plus vite possible. Donc aujourd'hui, un euh, dit que tu vois qu'on a travaillé avec Asso. Oh yes, sorry. I switched. Yes, it was slow. I can't understand what he's saying. That's amazing. If I can't solve the time now, I'm switching from one to another one. So, no, what is very important and what Alan said is um, in the past, he already did it. You know, he was like the director of rugby in France, like you said, you know, and even in England. Even when you are the head coach or the director of rugby, you need to make sure that you take care of the professional side, but also, you know, you reach, you know, what could be the next, you know, in the future. So you have to have like these eyes and make sure that it works. Um, It, what, what Alan said is that when he comes here in Austin, he will be really part of like the development of the sport uh, side of it, uh, and one and not just only the professional team. And that's also what I'm I want from his side, you know. And and one thing that we we saw and we we saw already last year and continue to confirm for us is we have to develop the coaching. If we want to develop, you know, like rugby in the USA, it's not only finding player, but it's finding coach and make sure that we can develop coach. So the coaching side is something right now that we are like putting together, you know, in place. And not only with Austin Elite, it's just how we can help, you know, like for us locally, the Austin Blacks, the Austin Hunts, San Marcos, San Antonio, Baylor's University, all these people that are around us. And what can we do to help to develop the coaching? People are so into it, you know, I wanted to help and develop, but they just like learn from what they saw from someone else that learned, you know, like even at the youth level, which is the key. It's important, you know, that's almost where the coach should be the best, you know, because that's like when you learn the basics. What can we do to develop 
the skills and the development of the coaching. So that is a big mission for him as well. And I really want him you know, to, to work on that. Um, what he believes is, and, and my role will be more on the business side. So really like Anna is taking care of the sports side and on my side, you know, they tell me we need that, how we can have it. And that's my job to, to find a solution for that. You know? So I will be on uh, more on the solution. What I would love to do also, and we talk with Anna, is there's a next step for us that is very important. Is like, you know, if you want your country and your city and your state to brief rugby, we need to find a way to bring rugby in a different, you know, like arena. And when I say arena, it's like you have like the schools and, and we are lucky, you know, like we have still swindled from the blacks right now that work with USA Rugby to develop, you know, like middle school and rugby school how we can help him, you know, to, to develop the schools. But now on the other side, we have tons of like a company that they are like international and everything. How we can bring rugby in their companies and, and how we can create games and like team building, you know, like exercise or something. And I would love that Anna with the experience in France, but they do it very well with the business. How we can also bring the sports side, you know, and the rugby feeling and touch, you know, like inside, you know, like the, the company. So that's also something that we are like, really have a very strong reflection, you know, what we can do. And so, but I want him to give us his expertise and the experience, you know, like rugby, like you say, is three decades already in Europe. What can we bring from what they did well to make it happen here? And what kind of, what type of tools we can bring? After we will need to choose and we will will be at the end of the season. Maybe I want him to focus way more on the playoff and just like the professional side, which is, you know, our goal and that's where we want to go. But we need to, we have a bigger mission than just making a team to be good, you know. Our mission is to develop within the USA. We need to bring people here, and that's what we want to do. Awesome. So, enough with the serious questions. Um, the only additional one in here is from Victor. Um has coming over to the United States, uh, specifically to Austin, has that been like a culture shock? Uh, how how has been your experience, uh, you know, on this trip? So depuis que tu es arrivé aux États-Unis, tu es venu aussi. Est-ce que c'était un choc des cultures? Comment s'est passé ton ton voyage depuis que tu es là? C'est, euh, c'est c'est pas un choc de culture c'est euh, parce que j'ai pas mal voyagé euh, on roule à droite donc ça c'est une, c'est quand même un avantage énorme euh, j'ai le problème de la langue qu'il faut il faut vite que je parle anglais donc c'est pour ça que je veux vite euh, mettre un langage avec 50 mots parce que 50 mots je suis capable de les retenir pour l'instant et euh, pour pouvoir parler au moins avec mes joueurs et euh, mais après non je, je suis très excité en fait parce que j'ai, j'ai envie de vite parler pour encore plus vite découvrir en fait l'Amérique. So he said that um, it's not like a cultural shock because he used to travel and he went to different places. So he said that and the good things in the USA for an English, you know, like language speaking, we, we drive on the right side, you know, like in, in France, which is like an easy one. Um, but uh, what it's, um, what is very important for him is, is like very like be able to speak more English as soon as possible so you can even exchange and I mean you know like be able to exchange more with his player first but with everyone and, and be able to experience more because he would be able to understand and to be able to engage 
He loves to talk, so he needs to engage more. <laughs> Got him. Uh, so you had a reputation as a player as being tough as nails. Who is a player that has that kind of toughness today uh, that you see in the game? You mean in Austin or just in general? In general. Okay. Tu as une réputation comme quoi tu es un joueur dur sur le terrain. Euh, Aujourd'hui, à qui tu vois, si tu avais un joueur tu veux que, qui est dur sur le terrain, tout, qui tu vois qui pourrait être remplacé Ou tu me dois... <rire> Euh, Aujourd'hui, je crois que c'est pas un joueur qui doit être dur, quoi. C'est l'équipe qui doit être dure. Quand on va jouer contre nous, ce que j'aimerais, c'est qu'on dise c'est très dur, quoi. C'est très dur parce que parce que parce que d'abord il tape dur, parce que le rugby est fait de de de, 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 de choses qui sont âpres. Et puis on court toujours après le ballon, quoi. Euh, finalement, on peut jamais après le ballon. Donc, au-delà que ce soit un joueur, en fait, je voudrais que ce soit l'équipe qui soit dure. Okay, so... He said today, it's not a guy, just one single player that has to be tough. The team needs to be tough, the full team. And what he wants to do and, and he wants to feel is like when people will play against us, they say, whoa, I was tough today. And I was strong and I was tough. And because you have to run after the ball and you can be tough, you know, because you never touch the ball. You can be tough because the impact is harder, but on every level, it will be tough to play against us. I wasn't going to ask you to choose an Austin player because that's just, there's, there's too many. I mean, I can choose like five that, you know, that they're going to play through anything. So, um, pain au chocolat or raisin? Pain au chocolat, pain au raisin. Pain au raisin. Pain au raisin. I'm going to one you will see. Favorite wine. Ton vin favori Un vin du Minervois, Château Lanegli. Château Lanegli, and it's a Minervois uh, wine. You know what? I can send you a picture later so you can share it. For sure. Send me that because <laughs> I'll definitely want to get some. Cider uh, de Normandie or Bretagne? Cider de Bretagne or de Normandie? Bretagne. Cider from Brittany. Okay. Me too. I agree. I agree. Favorite whiskey? Uh, Japanese. Ibiki. Ibiki, the Japanese one. From Centauri. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to... I'm going to get you... I'll, I'll bring you some Kentucky stuff. <laughs> We're going to change that mind. <laughs> uh, turf or grass? Kentucky. Okay. Okay. Synthetic or air? Grass. Grass. And uh, let me check boards and see if we got another live question. No, we don't. Um, Alain, merci beaucoup pour le temps. And uh, Thierry, as always, thank you very much. And uh, I think that about wraps it up for today. So signing off. This has been Lineouts by Earful of Dirt. Connect with Earful of Dirt online. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com 
or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. For Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for listening.